Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. All right, so let's go to the text. This is Matthew chapter 23. Guys, this is a really heavy text to read. Jesus is really upset. I'm not going to read it really upsetly. I'm just going to read it normally. But I'm going to read it. There's a lot. So um, if you want to read along, you can uh, in your Bible or up there. There are Bibles here. Also, did everybody get a thing of Play-Doh? If you didn't get one, there's some back there by Kayla. So make sure you grab one. you want to close your eyes, you can too. And um, I might miss up some of the words, so just bear with me. This is Jesus. He has just he's basically just reamed out the Pharisees just before this. He already did. And now he's, he's basically, he, he already hit him with the jab and now he's coming back with another punch. Essentially. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one convert, and when he becomes like you, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools, you blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and, who, and him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without but these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and, and the dish, so that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves 
because you are the sons of those that murdered the prophets. Fill up then on the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So upon that, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah to the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I might just be able to drop the mic, right? And we're done. <laughs> Clearly, Jesus is coming from a place where he knows the Pharisees were trying to be righteous, but what they were doing was not the center of what God wanted. And there's a tension here as we see the Pharisees who are following the law aggressively to the point where they have a command from God and they build several laws around that law so they don't ever transgress the law. You know, it's basically they build a security fence around the law so that they don't get close to violating God's commands. The issue with that, though, is they somehow have become unable to hear and discern God's spirit. And he alludes to that when he talks about the prophets. The reason why it's a challenge is Israel was blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing to the neighboring countries around them, and to eventually, through, you know, Jesus, be a blessing to the entire world. But the scribes and the Pharisees are missing this because their religious behavior and actions are causing issues. I mean, almost to the opposite extent. In verse 13, it says, they were keeping people out of heaven. I don't know if you guys remember that part. It said, not only, are you, not only are you not going into the kingdom, you're keeping people out. Uh, it says you devour widows' houses in some way just so that you can pray longer. I don't know if that means they're going over to like hang out with a widow and like care for her and they eat everything in her house and they're like, but we're here. You know, we're taking care of you. You're a widow, but not re we're not really taking care of you. We just want... To, to look like we're taking care of you. Uh, it says, he said, you create sons of hell, not converts. Um, and you don't even get how the temple works. He's like, you think that it's the sacrifice that makes the altar holy or important, or you think that it's the gold that makes the temple holy. And he's like, you don't, you don't even understand this. This is one of the things at the center of your own religion that you wear on your sleeves so that everyone can see it because they wore like stuff on their sleeves and their hats and they had tassels. But they didn't even get it. And essentially, they're focusing on the wrong things. This idea of being meticulously concerned with something as small as making sure the number of spices that they had on their spice rack, that 10% of those spices went to the temple, but at the same time ignoring 
God's command for them to do justice and be merciful and to be faithful. So they were concerned with the outside, not the inside. They washed the outside of the cup so people could see it, but the inside of the cup was disgusting. They looked like a beautiful tomb on the inside was full of dead people. Jesus' analogies are so, uh, they're really beautiful, I think, because they're, they're, they're so picturesque. They're so powerful. And as like an observer of this, we have not only the law, which they had, and they had the, they had the, uh, the prophets that came also, but I'm asking the question, what about the prophets? Because I'm like, I'm kind of a, like interested in the whole Bible. So prophets, what about Micah? Micah 6, 8. Um, you know, Micah says, but he has shown you what is good and what God requires of you. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So he's, Jesus basically said, you neglect mercy, you neglect justice. I sent you prophets, and your response was, we will kill them. And I was thinking about why, why do they kill the prophets? And what I realized is like they didn't want to be told that what they were doing was wrong. They didn't want anyone else to step into their life, whether it was God or anyone, and give them correction. They didn't want to receive correction. They wanted to be righteous because of their actions, because of what they were doing, but they weren't really interested in hearing from God. And uh, God said, I sent you the prophets. They're trying to get you back on track. They're trying to bring you close to my heart and what I want and why I made you a nation, which is to bless the world. But instead, you killed them. And by the way, even though you said, I didn't kill him, your dad did, or your dad's dad did. So that meant that you're responsible. That's, it's kind of similar to where if, if, you know, the blasphemy of Jesus saying if he was God's son, that, that made him God. So in the, in the same kind of lineage, if your grandfather killed the prophets, that made you responsible for the death of the prophets. And Jesus is also saying, by the way, I'm acting as a prophet right now, and chances are, well, not chances are, he's like, you're going to kill me too because I'm, I'm going to tell you what it is that God wants from you, and you're going to ignore it. And the only solution for it is for you to kill me. I kind of think about the telltale heart, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. He's taking care of the old man, the old man's heart. And he just... The prophetic, the prophetic things that Jesus is sharing are just like a splinter in the mind of the Pharisees because they know that it's the voice of God. And um, it's just way easier to keep doing your stuff and doing things right than it is to be humble and receive correction. Has anyone ever received correction? Okay, now, has anyone ever, does anyone like, like receiving correction? Anyone? Jeremy kind of does. <laughs> Jeremy, we might have to talk later. 
But you know what I mean? I, I hate receiving correction. I get the, I, I get embarrassed. I get the hot sweat, the cold face, like, you know, that, that whole thing. And the truth is, I want to just keep doing what I'm doing because if I can keep acting righteous, it's a metric that I can use to show you how holy I am. Right? I mean, if I can just keep acting a certain way and holding up the law and doing certain things, I can show you. I can be like, Steph, look, I can prove it to you. I'm righteous. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've kept this. I've kept this. I've kept this command. And it wasn't working because the irony was that God was asking them to focus on the other things. It's a little bit harder to show people that you're showing mercy. You're like, hey, by the way, um, just to let you know, I, uh, I did something really merciful <laughs> earlier. <laughs> it's pretty great. And yesterday, Justice, I did it. I did it. I did the do justice. But the, you know, the last part of the Micah verse is to walk humbly, right? So what's interesting about justice and mercy is most of those things are secret things. Maybe someone knows in a in a act of mercy, probably the person that you are being merciful to knows that you've been merciful, right? When we receive mercy, we're aware of mercy. But, you know, call my mom and say, you know, I gave a sleeping bag to somebody under the 101. Mom, I gave a sleeping bag. She's like, oh, that's good. How's your sister? You know, I mean, what I mean is, that's it. The reward happens, right? Like, it becomes an outward act. And again, there is nothing wrong with doing good things. Right? Everybody get a Play-Doh? Did everyone get their favorite color? If you didn't, now's the time to switch with someone if they're willing to make a deal with you. Maybe you can get a free lunch out of it. See, the interesting thing is, what does it look like for what we're doing on the outside to match the inside? Right? There's an inside and an outside of this Play-Doh container. That's not my point. <laughs> the outside is clean. The inside is full of Play-Doh. <laughs> also not my point. But what I would like to do, and I'm going to try and do this while, whilst I hold this microphone, but it would be kind of fun for me. Um, isn't Play-Doh so fun? Doesn't it smell good, too? Play-Doh Play memory, anyone? Play-Doh memory, shout it out. Yeah. Like anything, like your brother made you eat Play-Doh, anything? Dom, what you got? Oh, Play-Doh fights? It's cool, man. So what I was thinking about was take out this Play-Doh. I, I don't know if I can get mine out, but no, nah, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm just going to take this much out. I did that. I'm just going to take this much out. So I thought this. Let's take the Play-Doh. You can make it into whatever shape you want, not like artistically. This is a, this is a metric, okay? 
break off a piece for the amount of your life that you spend doing your job. Again, this is an estimate. I'm not saying this is exactly it. Then what are some other things? Relationships, if you're single, so, or you know, if you're married, but how much energy do I spend on my relationships, my really important relationships? Okay. If you are a mom or a dad, either brand new or 12 years deep, hi, Jamie. Uh, how much time do you spend taking care of your family? Break that off. Setting it aside, pulling it off from the other part. Okay, um, what about how much time you spend in traffic? I'm just gonna, mine's pretty big. About, I think I've lived in LA for 12 years. I've spent six of those years in traffic, guaranteed. Then what about like church stuff? Going to church, going to small group, going to Bible study, going to a Carmen concert. Uh, Carmen is this super, it's a super deep cut for, but if you get it, it's funny. Uh, worshiping God, praying, going on mission trips, going to conferences, academic conferences. Okay. Um, my point is, I don't have very much left of my Play-Doh. Now, all that stuff matters. Our life, our family, our relationships. The time that we spend doing church stuff matters. It's good. It's great. But the thing is, this stuff has meaning only if the center of it has meaning. So this stuff that we do with our life has meaning if the center of it has meaning. So what I mean by that is I could go to church and uh, I could spend my time and my money and my energy doing these things, but if at the heart of them, at the heart of these things isn't uh, taking me near to the heart of God, then it's just action. It's just doing stuff to do stuff. We live in a culture where we just do stuff. Nice cross. So Jesus tells us that the voice of the prophet, his voice and the voice of the prophets, is reminding us why things have meaning. He tells us where the meaning comes from. The meaning of the actions comes from God being there and us being near to what he wants for our lives. He said, the meaning comes from God and not the temple to God. Bill, can you go to this other slide for me? It's got one with the list, uh, side by side. So the meaning comes from the God of the temple and not the gold of the temple, right? They're saying, hey, if you swear by the temple, you swear by the gold, you swear by this, this is why it matters. He's like, I, you guys don't get it. Like, God is the reason why the temple is the temple, he said, it's the altar to God that matters, not the sacrifice on the altar. Uh, we can, if you can go to the other slide for a second. Um, in Matthew 9.13, Jesus is quoting another prophet, and he says, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous, but sinners. It's like, I don't care if you get it all right. 
I want your heart to be moving with compassion. So we go back. It's not the, it's not the temple, or it's not the gold. It's the temple. It's, it's not the sacrifice. It's the altar. It's what's happening on the inside, not what's happening on the outside. It's justice as opposed to propriety, as opposed to just doing things the right way. It's mercy, it's not judgment. Justice for me is like, what did I say it was like? I've been thinking about justice, and uh, it's beyond living in a way that knows what is right and what is wrong, but it is also about not showing partiality and understanding how our actions impact the community. I wrote something that doesn't make any sense. So I'm not going to try to interpret it. But justice is the sense of, are you willing to stand up for other people? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how often you're confronted with that. It could be anywhere. And what is mercy? I mean, mercy is a lot of things. These are big things to God. I'm not trying to say I'm defining them all right now. But mercy is an in-the-moment move of compassion towards fellow people, your fellow people. Men and women that you might otherwise judge. So it's interesting, mercy is better than judgment. We have to judge stuff all the time. Our brains are constantly telling us to judge stuff. That's just what we do. Got to decide if we're going to answer the phone, for example. We have to decide how we're going to negotiate traffic, what we're going to do in our job. Judgment, though, is setting aside maybe what you, your better idea for someone and just and um, part of me and having mercy on them. It's like, hey, this guy is clearly doesn't need to be on the street. He has, I have a friend who's on the street. He has two college degrees. I'm like, bro, what are you doing, man? Get a job, get your shit together, be a contributing member of society. That's my judgment. That's my spot. But mercy is something else. And I'm not trying to say that this is easy to do at all. This is a moment where the upside-downness of the kingdom is going to have to influence your life. It is something in our culture that's not normal. And we're going to have to swallow that. Right? The voice of Jesus, the prophet, is saying, you have to get this. You have to get this mercy thing. You have to get this justice thing. And this humility thing is... And like I said, this is a really difficult one for me. Jeremy's fine, but it's hard for me. It's really hard for me to say, you were right, I was wrong. Yesterday, I was hanging out with an old friend. I crossed a boundary with that person that I didn't know I crossed. He called me later. He's like, hey, man. 
I was really unhappy about what happened yesterday, and I had no idea, and I got blindsided and just kind of wrecked. And I was so mad. I'm like, man, your boundaries are screwed up. My boundaries are good. Yours are, yours are messed up, man. How dare you push your boundaries onto me? I mean, that's what's going through my head. But to be in that moment and to just go, man, you are right. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And just to take the low posture, that's really hard. It's interesting, but this is, it's for our good. Receiving correction is for our good. So I, uh, another question that sort of comes up for me is, if I'm thinking about the weightier things, uh, the question comes up for me is like, who's going to take care of me if I'm taking care of the poor? If I give 30% of my money away, it's interesting, we do that as a church. I don't know if anyone's ever thought about doing that before, by the way. Think about your salary and say, 30%, I'm going to give it away to the poor. Maybe some of them you're friends with, maybe some of them you aren't, but what would happen if you gave it away? Who would take care of you? And this is interesting because Jesus says, I have longed, I have longed, I have longed to gather you under my wings. I have longed to hold you. I've longed for you to participate in this with me in a way where you get that I'm the one taking care of you. Not the one where you have to figure it all out in order to make me do what it is you think I'm going to do. And what's also really challenging in this is he says, I need you to hear this. I need you to hear me. Because if you don't, you're not going to see me again until everyone is saying, oh my God, what is that? And, and the, as the hymnists say, the sky is unfolding or whatever the return of Christ looks like. And what I mean by that is we opt out of justice, we opt out of mercy, we opt out of humility. We're basically saying, I'm not really interested in what you're doing, Jesus. I'm not really interested in your stuff. I'm not interested in your point of view. I'm not interested in the world that you're thinking about making. And so I'm just going to be like everyone else and surprised when you come back and have no idea what to do with you when you return. And most of the time, like, we don't really hear it like that. We hear like, oh, it's pretty cool. We can just do what we want to do, build our life, build our dreams, build our castles, build our brand. It's not really on brand, sorry. <laughs> giving, I really don't think giving to the poor is on brand. But if it becomes on brand, I will give to the poor. <laughs> but I will only give to the poor if everyone knows that I'm giving to the poor. It's, it's, not, it's not how it works. It's not what Jesus is calling us to. It's so, I mean, like, I've read these texts my whole life. And I'm like, I'm so thankful I'm not a Pharisee. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that I am or that we are. But the implications for us are just as real as they were for them. You know, 
Jesus is warning us. He's inviting us to more. He's inviting us to himself. He's inviting us to receive the adventure of what it looks like to be in relationship with him. And it's like you join the mafia. You get his protection, you know? And I'm not saying that doesn't mean you're not going to, everything's going to be easy. But like, you get in and you're in. Jerry, were you ever in the mafia, Jerry? Okay. So let's stand up. Justin. Yeah, guys, it didn't work. I tried. I was too into the Play-Doh, but next time, I promise, this work won't be done in vain. So I don't know how this text settles with you guys. It doesn't settle with me very well because I'm convicted about my religious behavior versus moving toward the heart of God. And maybe that's not an issue for you because you're like, hey, I actually feel really connected to God. I feel really good. But maybe the issue for you is that hasn't moved from you to outside of you. You're like, I, I love worshiping God. In fact, I'll put worship music on for like 10 hours and I'll sit in my room and do whatever that is that people do when they worship for 10 hours in their room. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but I'm saying, but maybe that's it. And then you walk out into your neighborhood and you don't care about your neighbor and you don't care for the poor and maybe you learn something in a city where you used to live where it's okay to not say hi to people. Maybe you used to live in Boston or New York or something. You're like, listen, I don't even say hi to people anymore. Um, I'm not saying you have to become an extrovert. I'm just saying, like, you need to consider that as you're a person that's carrying the kingdom around with you. Okay. Okay. Great. So we were praying. We were talking about surrendering this morning. And something about God wanting to really illuminate some things. Beautiful things. Challenging things. But like this idea of like an overcast day and the sun getting pushed back. And then the, the strong sunlight coming through, kind of like what's coming through the window right now. Really vibrant, really powerful to illuminate some things, for God to show us some things. So Justin's going to pray for us. He's going to, he is going to, he's going to facilitate some prayer, but it's cool because this is what the Holy Spirit told him to do this morning. And so this is another moment where we're taking risk. Holy Spirit says, hey, we're going to do something, so we're going to respond. So let's
Let's, let's party. So the Holy Spirit to me this morning said, I realized that was just my stomach. So the other day I was walking. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing stand-up right now. I just felt like prayer, I've been learning for myself, prayer isn't just for other people. It's for us. Prayer shapes us. Worshiping God shapes us. And I felt like covering other people, what he was talking about, caring for the poor, caring for each other. The, the two commandments that fulfill all of the law are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are big words. And I just saw us all holding hands today, and not taking long, only like three minutes, and covering each other. C.S. Lewis says, to love somebody is to wish the best for them as far as it can be obtained and to wish nothing else. And I feel like in praying, we can awaken within ourselves something that's more aware of God, more aware of our authority. And so I think we need to just do that. And I'm not going to give you a long time, so imagine this. If you don't say anything out loud, I don't care if you whisper. If you don't say anything, nothing's going to happen to the person next to you. Their breakthrough is dependent upon your spoken word. Just imagine that you have power, that you are going to change something so small that's going to change the trajectory of their life. And if you don't say it, they'll miss out. That's almost exactly what prayer is. So what I want you to do is I want you all to hold hands, bridge the gap, grab the hand of the person next to you. If you're in these side ones, move over. You can just stay in lines. It's fine. Yeah, you can stay in lines. Now think about this. We're covering each other. We're not praying for ourselves. We're praying for the person on the left and our right. Left and right. And yeah, it's just imagine what you're saying is just going out of your hands and into the person next to you, okay? So we're just going to practice this. I'm going to give you only... Uh, it's okay. I'm going to give you guys only three minutes. So you don't have tons of time. So connect with God. See what he wants to say for them. And say it. I don't care if you whisper, but just say something. And, and, and cover this person. So three, two, one. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you bless the person to my left and to my right. I pray that you cover them. I pray that you release your spirit in them. They'd be able to see, hear, recognize your spirit. They start to walk in understanding. They start to walk in wisdom that they didn't know before. They start to see themselves with more truth, accuracy, see others. They wouldn't miss the people around them. They connect. Pray that you'd awaken my heart to the things that matter, places that I've gotten stale. Pray that you'd awaken their hearts. Awaken their hunger for life. If they've lost hunger for life, they'd start to see the possibility around them. They start to embrace the life they've been given. They start to be okay with themselves. They start to see the gift that God has created in other people. We just pray for an awakening. We pray for covering. That they be protected in just the right moment. 
You'd give them just the right words to say what they need to say. I pray that you'd cover these people to the left and to the right of me. I pray that you'd be with them for this week. I pray that you teach us how to pray, how to use prayer to overcome our ego, overcome the obstacles that get in our own way. 20 more seconds. Just get out anything left that you need to say so that this person's life will be changed. Okay, stop. Now I just want you to say this. I seal this in your spirit. Amen. All right, now it's God's.